You're listening to People First, the Hyde Park Angels podcast dedicated to deconstructing entrepreneurial success and actionable takeaways you can use today. Hyde Park Angels is the most active early stage investor in Chicago with a commitment to taking a people first approach to investing. By matching our members' expertise and our entrepreneurs' needs, we help develop top performing companies that are delivering extraordinary results. I'm your host, Pete Wilkins, Managing Director here at HPA. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon. It's Pete Wilkins. Today on Hyde Park Angels People First Podcast, I'm with Andy Friedman. Hi, Andy. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. You know what would be helpful for our listeners, Andy? Uh, And if I did it, I'm sure I would butcher it, but maybe give a little bit about your background and your story and um, so they get a sense of who you are. So I, I grew up in the Detroit area. And I went to the University of Michigan for college. Uh, First job out of college, uh, I was an analyst at Morgan Stanley in New York. Um, I then I did that for two years. It was one of those crazy, you know, 80 80 to 100 hour week jobs. Uh, I I didn't love it, but I knew right. Right. It it was a rough existence, but it was a means to an end. That was the way I viewed it. I knew that I wanted to go to business school, which I did. I then went to um, Wharton. Uh, after two years at Morgan Stanley, and then after the two years uh, in Pennsylvania, I, I moved to Chicago. So I've been here for 22 years or so. So I moved to Chicago, and it was funny because my, my business school colleagues, everyone was uh, very focused on the function in terms of driving their their uh, their career, ch- their next move, their career choice. Mm-hmm. I was more geographic focused. I knew I wanted to go to Chicago. And so I had all kinds of great opportunities in New York, and I had every reason in the world to go back to New York City, and I just did not want to lay the roots there. Uh, And I thought Chicago, since I'm from the Midwest already, Chicago was a a better, smaller version of New York that had most of the good and and not nearly as much of the bad. Nice. I like that. that. That's how how I viewed Chicago, and that's when I made my move. And so I, I... I uh, came to, here in 1995. I was I was an investment banker in the real estate sector for a little over five years, and then in 2000, that's really when I pursued the kind of the, the big move out of corporate America, uh-huh. and I was obsessed with um, with the car wash industry. And wow, that is that is an interesting. So I like where you're going with this. So you first you were like every really smart um, college grad. You just picked a destination. It's almost like picking a place where your girlfriend or boyfriend is and following them. (laughs) But you were married to the Midwest. Yes. And then you were thinking, hey, this investment banking job, I definitely got to get into the car wash industry. Yeah, it was a a seamless transition. Yeah. Uh, I spent, you know, nights and weekends looking looking into into this industry. And it got to the point where it was either do it and let's move on or don't do it and continue down another path. So I left my job. Um, I my my car wash deals ended up not panning out. Wow. All right. Uh, I ended up officing with my father-in-law and brother-in-law, who were in the gasoline station business. And after a little time, we ended up doing a deal together where we bought a gas station and we renovated it and eventually sold it and turned that into a uh, travel center, a truck stop. And I spent about <laughs> seven right. years yeah. in the travel center business. Um, operating out of Chicago, but in the mostly in Indiana. The attraction of the popcorn business versus the travel center, it was almost the opposite kind of business. In the travel center business, you could do millions of dollars of revenue going through the cash registers on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. And the margins were so razor 
thin that if at the end of the day, if you if there was anything left mm-hmm. to split up, you're super happy. Yeah. So super tight margins. Whereas the popcorn business was just the opposite. Super, you know, super uh, uh, wide margins, if you will. Mm-hmm. Maybe the sales weren't going to be there, but over time you could figure out if you, d- you didn't have to do everything perfectly like in the travel center mm-hmm. business. You couldn't do anything. It needed to be perfect in the travel center business. In the popcorn business, I figured there was enough margin there that if you made a couple mistakes, you could survive to fight another day. You just decided, I need something besides what I'm doing right now. You didn't necessarily have the perfect thing the first time you took your step yep. into being a true entrepreneur. Is that yep. accurate? That is accurate. And then it sounds like you started to learn on the margin analysis that you're thinking, well, if I'm going to go do this again, how do I put myself in the best position to have wind in my back? So you were yep. kind of looking at it from a banker perspective a little bit. Yep. You started looking at margins, and you're like, oh, here's something that could be good margins, and that kind of got your thinking flowing, and you came you came up with popcorn. Yep. All right. So it wasn't as unsophisticated as a, of a leap as it sounds, but it, still, it was a big leap. Right, but I think for the entrepreneurs listening, it shows that it's pretty hard to have a prescription exactly how to be successful. Yep. There's a lot of different steps, and sometimes they're successful, sometimes they're not, but... Yep. Clearly, you made uh, this. I heard this popcorn thing kind of worked out well for you. Is that accurate? Worked out okay. We actually started a retail popcorn business similar to Garrett's. They sold to some private equity guys. Mm-hmm. They moved it right out to New York City. Mm-hmm. And then they made some substantial bets that to me didn't make any sense from a real estate perspective and a cost analysis. It just made no sense. And ultimately, it didn't work out for them. But they've come back and they've done a fantastic job since then. You saw an established player that didn't have a lot of competition that you thought you could innovate in the market. And coincidentally, they did exactly what a big player often does, is that they were looking at how do you really move the needle big time and took some missteps right when you're entering the market. Yep. All right. So so here we were, and the business was called Wells Street Popcorn. It was a profitable business, but we were pouring every every penny of profit back into the business to build it. Okay. And literally over the three years that we ran this business, it was 2008, 9, and 10, it only paid for my cell phone bill, and that was it. No other compensation. Wow, that's that's fun in the family, isn't it? Yeah, that was rough. Like, what was the light at the tunnel? Because it wasn't at that time what turned out to be right, right. The, the light was awfully dim all right okay so we were <laughs> pursuing this dream that i think and, and i think we were a bit off all right um but we knew that um a couple things number one pam and i knew that we liked working with each other we, th- we knew we were a really good team mm-hmm. and we knew that we were going to figure something out now we ended up making this great pivot in 2010 which was and the reason why we needed to make we were really forced to make a pivot we didn't know what it, that it was going to turn out the way it did but at Well Street Popcorn, we were selling a very decadent product, and the way tr- consumer trends were moving was towards health and well- wellness and better for you. And here we were trying to sell this decadent product into the into this marketplace, and it just didn't make a lot of sense. Multiple things going on simultaneously. One was we started to sell the Well Street Popcorn into grocery local grocery stores, so we got a taste for let's say the distributor model whole, of wholesaling. We also landed a significant significant account with a major theater uh, uh, operator in in uh, in Chicago. They were then selling Wall Street popcorn, okay. and the light bulb went off with that regarding boy, you know, they were putting these orders for hundreds of bags of of, of Wall Street popcorn, 
and we thought to ourselves, boy, it's a lot easier to get 100 people, or excuse me, it's a lot easier to get one person to buy 100 bags than it is to get 100 people to walk into your store to each buy a bag. Right. Look at what that business goal paid off right, right? there, right? I yeah, mean, so. this, these are pretty obvious things, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, here we were, we were in the trenches right. trying to, you know, sell these bags of caramel corn and cheese corn, and, but, you know, so that happened, and the other thing that happened, and it happened pretty often, people would come into our store and they would say, best popcorn I've ever had, better than Garrett's, see you next month. Yeah. And so that was kind of a pat on the back, kicking the rear end, and so Pam and I would be left with this, you know, we'd look at each other and we're like, how are we going to get them to come into the store more frequently? Right. And so that was the, the, the puzzle that we were trying to solve. And we had looked at all kinds of different avenues to get to increase foot traffic into our stores, but ultimately we decided on creating a Well Street popcorn light. So we started experimenting with different kernels, better for you seasonings, and better for you oils. There still is a store um, in in Lincoln Park, close to a gym, close to a large gym. And we thought that was gonna be a home run location. A lot of young people, it's called millennials, walking by. And the store has done okay, and it was because these young people that were going to and from the gym were not interested in a very decadent bag right. of caramel corn. All right. So, you know, we, we needed to f- solve for what were they looking for? What is it that they wanted? And we thought, you know, maybe they would want a, a healthier popcorn treat. All right. So we sold our first bag in August of 2010. All right. Um, we we uh, literally hand-packed it, hand-sealed it. We had one popper, one sealer uh, for the first three and a half months, and we were butting up against some constraints in terms of we had, we had, a, we had a bunch of uh, um, bottlenecks in terms of we were making it in the back of one of our stores. Right. We only had the space to keep. All we really could fit was about 50 cases, 5-0. Um, so we could make about 60, 600 bags in a day. So 12 bags in a case, 50 cases, 600 bags. And But we found uh, on an open buying call at, one of, at a local independent grocery store someone that we thought could help us in this endeavor. And it turned out to be our first distributor. And this guy had a little basket that had some other uh, snack foods in it. And he signed in before us. And I looked at Pam and I said, that's going to be our guy. She's like, what are you talking about? So we signed in behind him, jotted down his name, Googled his company, called him later that day, met with him, and it turned out he was a food distributor. Mm-hmm. And he dealt in the salty snack category. Uh, to, to us, his sales pitch was he thought he could deliver all 17 of the Whole Foods in the Chicagoland area. There were 17 at the time. This is going back to 2010. We thought, boy, if we could hit all 17 Whole Foods, we would be, you know, we would hit pay dirt at that right. point. Um, and we, so what we did was we literally popped him up some fresh Skinny Pop. We showed him on a poster board in our office what the bag was going to look like. We hadn't even had the, you know, the did bags Did you come up with point. the Skinny Pop name yeah. then? Was it always Skinny Pop? Oh, yes. From day one? Because this is, that's critical. Everybody yeah. knows Skinny Pop. The minute that we cracked the code on what is now Skinny Pop, we looked at each other and we said, boy, this is not going to be the better for you Well Street popcorn light in our retail stores. Let's figure out a way to get this into a bag onto a grocery store shelf. All right. So that was the plan. We sat in an office. Uh, we came up with the name in uh, five minutes or less. 
Come on. Uh, we had a few names. There were some other names out there that we liked, but Skinny Pop was the one that we stuck with. I love it. That's great. This is, So all you entrepreneurs and listeners out there thinking about this, I mean, this is just the story of commitment to your trade, looking for opportunities. I mean, it, you can really get a sense of uh, the opportunity, the name Skinny Pop, which occurred, a lot of people would take forever to come up with that. Yep. You guys did it in less, did you say that five minutes? Yeah. But it worked out for sure. It worked out great. This is early, this is August of 2010. We didn't have a big distribution plan because yeah. I, I should probably underscore this. Pam and I came to this business with zero food and zero CPG experience. So so we so we bring in this this one, we had one distributor, and we we they what they what was great about them was they were willing to come to our store and pick up five days a week. So we couldn't pop on you know Friday, Saturday, and Sunday because there was nowhere to put the 50 cases. Mm-hmm. And but it was a unique situation because we knew that every case that we could make, they were going to buy from us, and they knew because they were getting pulled from the retailers. Every case that they bought from us, they were going to sell. Oh, that's good. See, that, that's a win-win-win. Be- it was a win because the yeah. because the consumers were demanding it of the retailers. Yeah. So that that is clear, clearly something that we would look at look at it as Hyde Park Angels, and and Andy is a, a member of Hyde Park Angels as well, but. We would call that product market fit, would we not? Yes. And I would think that, the, that when you have demand where consumers are pulling it off the shelves and you're starting to expand. So how did you, so clearly it continued to grow, right? Yes, yes. But and when did you go from like, I'm giving it to people out of my back door yep. to having a loading dock? How did that transform? So we were, I mean, nose to the grindstone, banging this out, popping, packing, sealing, delivering, and we found out, again, since we had no food experience, no CPG experience, that there was a whole category of business out there called a co-packer. Right. And when we found out what they did, it was, it was, it was huge for us. And what they did was they could pop it on our behalf. So all of the, the, the manual labor of actually creating the product of popping the Skinny Pop, what we found someone to do it on our behalf. And that was huge because... The one differentiator for Skinny Pop is that it's allergen-free. So to find a co-packer, so once we found out about this category, it was very difficult to find someone that actually did what we wanted them to do. So there are popcorn co-packers out there, but we happen to have found someone that was, a I would call them a value-added manual labor business. They had no other food in their facility, but they had this one piece of equipment that we really wanted to eventually use, and it's called a vertical form fill seal machine. And it was basically an automated way to uh, pop and bag the Skinny Pop. So for those folks that I know we have some uh, people that would be listening today, this Colpacker solution is really something that you need to understand if you're looking at putting a product on a shelf um, because it really, the overall costs are significantly reduced. Would you agree, Andy? Well, the upfront costs. Yeah. I mean, because someone, some might argue, the big CPG companies probably would argue that you're better off manufacturing it in-house. Over time, though, Yeah, right? over time. I mean, this is the entrepreneur's story. You're not Right. It would have cost for millions right. and millions of dollars to tens of millions of dollars to build a facility like this. On January 1st, 2011, that's when... Pam and I separated ourselves from, from Wall Street Popcorn and became focused 100% on Skinny Pop. 
when you started to to build this out, when did you start thinking, okay, we can do this nationally? What was yep. how did you approach that? So, you know, we were we were so hyper focused on building the brand and uh, first making sure that we saturated the Chicago market, and we had our first big break out of the Chicagoland area, which was it was at a store called Schnucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, based in St. Louis. So not so far from a national perspective, but it was outside of the Illinois border. There was real, because we didn't know if it was a Chicago phenomenon or if this really had legs and we could go nationally. And that was our first full truck order uh, at Schnucks. And I remember the day like it was yesterday because there was an issue with the delivery and eventually the, the popcorn got there and it was a tremendous success. And so a couple things happened. Number one, when we got the check for that order, that was really what put us over the edge in terms of from a cash flow positive standpoint. And number two, when it was successful, we knew that we had a brand that tra- that could travel. Yeah. And so at, from that moment on, it was it was a race to try to you know get Skinny Pop as quickly as possible across the nation. What were some of the core milestones that you saw kind of come together from there? So we sold that first bag in August of 2010, and we hired our first employee in September of 2012. Wow. So we went over two years, just Pam and me, doing 100% of everything but for the actual popping once we found that co-packer. All right. So there's no roadmap. There's no one telling you. No one for even 20 seconds gave us a hint as to what we should do, kind of the next steps. So I would say true coast-to-coast was probably um, early 2012. Probably took us a a year to go coast-to-coast. We, you know, at that point, so by the way, at the end, in in July of 2014, when we ended up selling the majority of the business, just to put things into perspective, we were working with approximately 60 distributors um, and big, how many employees at that time? Well, we, it was Pam and me, and we had four administrative staff in our office, and we had five salespeople. Really? So you could outsource all of that is what you did with regards to being able to pack it up because clearly you got a lot of volumes and you're probably that evolved. But okay. Yeah. But I would argue that Pam and I probably did the job of you know maybe six or eight people each. We ten. Let's just say ten. Ten each. each. Ten each. Twenty people. So you had a staff of, including you two, forty. Yeah, right, exactly. But it was 11. It was just 11 people. Wow. And pe- you know, we were well, super great focused. Story. Yeah, it was super fun. So what do you, so clearly coast to coast. And so then you started, how did the whole investment process come into place? Sure. So we we actually took a, this was earlier in, two, in, in 2012 when this started to happen. I refer to it as the year of the private equity guys. Right. So we were on the, on the radar of most significant, from a size standpoint, private equity firms that would invest in brands. Mm-hmm. And so they we spent a good portion of 2012 while building the business, also fielding inbounds from these private equity firms and meeting with them. And they would come to our office and they would look around and keep in mind, we didn't hire our first employee until September of that year. So half of the time they would look around and say, where is everybody? And we would say, well, it's just the two of us. And they right. would look at our financials and they would say, I, I don't get it. Or later in that year, they would see one person out there and have the same reaction. Um, but so we and, and I kept saying to them, what is it that you because, by the way, we were profitable, cash flow positive, very profitable. And it just didn't we didn't know what to do with this capital that they were waving in front of us. And so I kept saying, what is it that you would make us do with this capital if you were to invest? 
And they kept saying, well, you have no infrastructure, you have no sales team, it's just the two of you, you know, we need to build up this business. And so Pam and I would kind of look at each other and we'd say, yeah, okay, but I think, you know, there's too much opportunity right now. We'll go back to work and continue to build the business because it was on fire. Um, and then it, in early 2013 is when we took on a, uh, a minority investor. And the reason why we did it, it was not about the capital, but it was very strategic. It was because to respond to all of these private equity firms that kept telling us we needed some sales force, some infrastructure. We took an, on an investor who had a lot of experience in the salty snack business. He founded a company called uh, um, uh, Sensible Portions and their hero brand was Veggie Straws. It wasn't about him, it was about the fact that he had a sales team of five people and those are the five people that became our sales Got team. Got it. So we took in a little investment and then we all of a sudden had an instant sales team of buttoned-up professionals that really ended up and doing a great job. And the impact of that it was enormous. Well, multiple of two, fifteen, thirty-seven. Uh, you know, the the hard to measure the impact of it because right. we took on this this investment in May of 2013. Yeah, um, they really didn't. They were not really speaking the skinny pop language for three, four months. Yeah. from there. And six, eight months later, we ended up selling the majority of the business. So we had, you know, we had the roadmap mapped out, but they did block and tackle and they did a great job. We continued uh, building the business, profitably building the business. We still had a small overhead. Uh, and then one day, the banker, an investment banker, who's really, the, I would say, the premier guy in the, in the, in the middle market salty snack business, and he made it his business to become very close with us over the years, he said, it's time. It's time to sell your business. And we were not thinking in those terms at this point, but he said, it's time. So we ultimately hired him. We had a very small process. We only talked to a handful of strategics. And then I would say out of left field came TA Associates, which is the firm that we ended up selling the majority of the business to, and that was in July of 2014. Uh, and that was a, an amazing uh, transaction for for us. Um, and then, but the, but the plan was what we really felt, we really liked the guys at TA. And the plan was to make Skinny Pop kind of the the base for a better for the base for a better for you snack platform, which is what we've ultimately done. That's awesome. Yeah. And then you guys went public too, correct? Yes. Yes. This is a great example of having an idea of what the market could bear being able to see consumer behavior and pivot into it, creating uh, a unique way to actually distribute the product, which I think is really starting to take off in today's yep. consumer uh, household. So Skinny Pop was now being distributed in a bag. That was your core bag. You were able to really look at how do you manage cash efficiently. You finally got to a point where capital was priced right for you to expand um, what you did, which created new opportunities from a strategic investor, which you ultimately partnered with, yep. and then ultimately took Skinny Pop and built a platform that you would have a complementary of products that were kind of in the skinny line, Skinny Pop vein yep. of really hitting that consumer's palate as well as their psyche of how they can eat healthy at the same time, enjoyed the food. For those entrepreneurs that are listening, what do you think in the simple food category, what do you think are some of the key trends that are emerging? Sure. I, I think 
I'm going to cut to the conclusion right off the bat. All right. The product needs to taste outstanding, period, end of story. So I think the trends are towards cleaner labels, ingredients that you can pronounce all of the, the names, um, uh, simple ingredients. Um, everything, I think, in the better for you category is on trend right now. Got it. Um, but ultimately, if it doesn't taste great, you can fool the consumers with an interesting name or, or differentiated packaging. But at the end of the day, if you want them to keep coming back, you need to deliver an outstanding product. You know, we all, at Skinny Pop, we always viewed the success of Skinny Pop really in three different categories or because of three different things. One was the name kind of an interesting and differentiated name. Uh, the second thing was the packaging, and I would say differentiated, doesn't really look like anything else that's on the shelf. And then at the end of the day, you need to, you need to deliver on the product. It needs to be outstanding. And when I, I say outstanding, I mean, I, I'm not just referring to fresh and delicious, which it needs to be, right. but you can't feel like you're sacrificing when you're eating the product, if you want, if you think you want to ha it to have long-term legs, right. so when you're eating Skinny Pop, you it just tastes like fresh popcorn. Um, there are other products that may taste okay, but it's a sacrifice. Yep. It's not as good as the real version of that product, and that's why when I'm saying it needs to taste great, I think from a, a mental standpoint, you need to not be making a sacrifice. You have established players. I'd even say with popcorn. I mean, popcorn. Yeah. You guys did something different than nobody was doing. So why don't, as soon as General Mills sees Simple Mills or Quest Bar sees RX Bar, why don't they just automatically steal the idea and yeah. start doing it themselves? You know, the big CPG companies are not built to innovate. Right. Uh, because they, they're so big that in order to move the needle – um, these little, these small—it's called—they don't have the—they don't want to put forth the time or effort to incubate new brands, new concepts, new ideas. So it's easier for them to go out and buy brands once they have established themselves in the marketplace. Because they have, like you were talking, like the co-packing facilities. They've made the investment yep. to produce foods just like this, so they get economies of scale. Yep. Correct. Absolutely. And they have a thousand people that are establishing their brand. They can't innovate on a brand that day. Yep. Um, and so I think that many people think, well, technologists have all this technology. All you do is throw up a website. Well, I think that the person that is thinking how do they allow people to live a better life by eating better food it's kind of their day would you agree yes and if that person that is thinking they're thinking, you know what i'm inspired andy I, i'm gonna start delivering stuff and i'm gonna start baking this and you know you've inspired some people what advice would you give them that if you would have known when you first started skinny pop that if somebody would have told you then that you would have saved you a lot of time or a lot of money or a lot of stress. Is there one thing you'd want to share or a couple well, of things you'd well, want to share? I got to tell you, if I knew now, if I knew then what I know now, I probably would not have done this because it is <laughs> so cutthroat competitive out there. Um, but I'm, I'm beyond thrilled that I did do it. Right. But, you know, we fortunately, we just didn't know. We didn't know what we didn't know. Sometimes that's, yep. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think, uh, you know, a well-thought-out plan needs to be established and and um, we we had a, a you know pretty good idea we had a great product we put forth a lot of time and effort uh, in order to build this product 
Um, but I think a good plan with a great product will always win the day. Yep. Um, I think that it, without passion about the product, you don't have a chance. Yeah, I think that that's the one thing that, that I think is universal is you have to be passionate about what you're doing. And everybody's heard that to every entrepreneur they talked about. Yeah. But diving into your story from gas to popcorn uh, to healthy foods, um, you've made huge commitment in the Midwest, yeah. seriously, and we really appreciate that. I know you're an advisor to many people that are looking at this, so we thank you. And I know that as a Hyde Park Angel member, you're always willing to provide some advice. Um, so, you know, Andy, really appreciate the time we had together. Pleasure. Uh, hopefully we did a nice job for all of our listeners today talking about what it's like to build a company like Skinny Pop and how you might be able to do it too. Thanks a lot, everyone.